Hi everybody, Mike Wardrock from Encounter Church here, and thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. Our prayer is that through this podcast, you could have an encounter with Jesus that will change your life. And now get ready for an inspiring message from our teaching team. I made it on time. I was a little bit worried because I was a little Netflix absorbed until 3.20. And I forgot that I live further away these days. Uh, So we are renovating our house, which is like five, ten minutes from here. So I'm like, encounter, that's like my neighbourhood. Like, you guys are right near me. And then I went, I'm not in my neighbourhood right now, am I? I'm in Salisbury. (laughs) Okay, I should stop and go. So I've still got ten minutes of my show, so this is going to be a short... Sermon. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> but we are renovating, and it, I don't know if you've done a full-scale renovation before. It is, it is an experience. I've done little bits and pieces, particularly where I haven't had to live with the consequences. You know, there's something freeing about renovating something that you don't then have to like. You know, so if it's not a kitchen I'm in love with, I'm okay with that because somebody else has to live with it. But this one. I have to live with. My husband informs me for the next 15 years. And I'm like, ah, so my navy blue kitchen, I have to love for the next 15 years. Not just like, I'm required to love it. Because I fought that battle. And I won. And so now I can never, ever admit if I ever stop loving it. I will always love it. Yeah, as we have these, these interesting conversations, but um, Andrew's really funny, my husband, he does not want to see the progress. I don't know if you've ever met somebody like this, but I actually think it's because he's decided the chaos would stress him out, or he just can't imagine what the end will look like, but he literally has moved out and has not gone back in since. Yes. And he's planning to walk in when it is all done, dusted and cleaned ready to move back into the house. And so I'm left meeting with all these builders. Now, between the two of us, you don't know us, but that's probably still a wise thing. <laughs> all right? But I'm, I'm having these phone calls from, you know, our, our builders and, and our um, foreman, and one of them's all right, like he kind of explains things in English, but the other one seems to have, um, how do I put this, overestimated my technical ability when it comes to renovations. Now, I know how to use a tool or two, But I had a five, ten-minute conversation with him the other day where he spent this entire time talking and using really technical jargon, and I wasn't quite sure what he was... I said, so I kind of cut him off. I said, Jace, are you telling me that in order to stop the large door that we've installed at the back of our house from falling on people, you need to brace it? He's like, yes. I said, I think that sounds like a good idea, Jace. Do that. (laughs) It was like this five, ten-minute conversation where he's like talking all of this stuff and all these really technical terms and... And, I don't know, he was assuming I was an expert like he was. I was not. But I do know doors should not fall on people. So I was okay with that. But it is interesting that we sometimes assume that people have expertise. Now, in some cases, that's a good thing. Yeah? In some cases, you want people to have expertise. You go see a doctor, you want them to be experienced and knowledgeable. You want them to have the expertise and to be right with the outcome. But sometimes we assume that people have expertise and we assume that they have experience and we assume that they know what they're talking about when they don't. I mean, you all, whether you've joined us online today or here in person, made a very large assumption that I know what I'm talking about. 
We'll see. <laughs> you know, we don't know each other that well. I don't know. Mike vouched for me, but it's Mike. So, <laughs> you know, like, what are you going to do with that? So we're just going to have to wait and see how this goes. But you've all made that assumption. We make that assumption all the time. If you're on social media, it's amazing how much people assume that they are experts at things. You know, just because they read some blog or had some idea. I literally premised this week, I was meeting with somebody, I said, I had this idea, don't quote me on it yet because I haven't fully thought it through. <laughs> you know, I think we need a little bit more of that on social media. Yeah. Don't quote me on this yet, I haven't really thought it through, but I'm thinking out loud, right? Yeah. And so we have this assumption. Now, it often happens because of two reasons. One, it's celebrity. Right, so Mike's given somebody a good wrap-up, or, you know, they're famous, we liked them in that movie, therefore they should know something about how to eat well or raise my kids, right? <laughs> or because they're very confident. Yes. You know, they sound like they know what they're talking about, they used a few language things that seem really knowledgeable and intelligent, and so they must know what they're talking about because they do it so confidently. Let me tell you about confidence. It's usually faked. Right. My husband, as a, he's a doctor, and the first couple of years in Melbourne, we only hung out with his doctor friends. And I don't know if you know this, but doctors marry doctors or nurses. They're your two options. <laughs> and so here I am, a minister, and I was at all these parties with doctors and nurses, and I didn't know anything. So I learnt three words in doctor language. And so I could say bronchoscopy into a conversation. I don't know what one is, but I could say the word with confidence. Yeah? yeah? You can fake confidence. It doesn't have to be real, sincere, thought through or educated in any way. And this was the problem that Paul was facing with the church in Galatia, this region which is now in Turkey, of all these churches that he had invested his heart and his soul into. He had travelled, he taught them the gospel, he led them to faith, he'd helped these churches start. And within a short time of leaving, these Jewish Christians had gone to this Gentile area, this non-Jewish background area, and had begun telling these Gentile Christians, these baby Christians, that in order to be proper Christians, they needed to be Jews first. And they did it with great confidence. So much so that people believed them. And they were getting circumcised and they were practicing religious ceremonies and, and festivals and all of these things that were part of the law of Israel. And so Paul is heartbroken by this and he starts to write to the Galatians. And you guys have been traveling this for a while and if you're new or if you've just caught it online today, go back and have a listen at the old messages because you've been traveling through this book, unpacking what this means. And right here at chapter four, Paul begins to explain and expand something in a, in a really interesting way. And so we're not going to do the whole of chapter four today because, you know, my Netflix is waiting. I'm joking. I would give it up for you guys. But we are going to look at the first 10 verses, all right? So we're going to have a, a little explore. So this is Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 to 10. And it says this. Think of it this way. If a father dies and leaves great wealth for his young children, those children are not much better off than slaves. They grow up um, and, uh, until they grow up, even though they actually own everything um, their father had. They have to obey the guardians until they reach whatever age their father set. And that's the way it was with us before Christ came. 
We were slaves to the spiritual powers of this world. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that we, he could adopt us as his very own children. And because you Gentiles have become, uh, become his children, God has sent his spirit of his son into your hearts and now you can call God your dear father or your Abba father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you, belong, uh, since you are his child, everything he has belongs to you. Before your Gentiles knew God, you were slaves to the so-called gods that didn't even exist. And now that you have found God, or should I say, now that God has found you, why do you want to go back again to become slaves once more to the weak and useless spiritual powers of this world? You're trying to find favour with God by what you do or, or don't do on certain days or months or seasons or years. He's using this beautiful imagery. There's a few things that I want to pull out for us today. Here is Paul writing to this Christian church, these new baby Christians. And as we've discovered over the last months, you know, he's, he's writing to them to help them understand the core and the crux of the gospel. And he uses a really interesting term here as he's talking about their life before Christ. Okay, In Greek, it is this term. Stoahion. I got it right. Stoahion. Okay, it is this really interesting term. In your Bibles, it might be translated as elemental powers or elemental forces or spiritual powers, spiritual principles. But what it is, is essentially this undergirding reality from which life and energy comes. And so what Paul's saying here is he's speaking to the Galatian church and he's saying, before you knew Christ, you had this stoahion. You had this elemental force from which life and energy and purpose and rhythms of life and understanding about what life meant came from. Now, for the Jews, that was their law. You know, we look at law and we go, okay, so the stuff you get in trouble with the police that our parliament passes. No, 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 this was a different kind of law. You know, this was a fundamental rhythm and culture of their entire being as a community. Okay, that was their law, their Torah, the first five books of the Bible. And he said, that was their Stolhaian. And he said, but you were Gentiles. You had your own Stolhaian. Okay, yours was the gods, which you now realize didn't even exist. And your chief purpose was to try and please these very picky and unpredictable, because they probably didn't exist, gods, right? And so you spent your time trying to please them and hope that they weren't offended by your offerings and all of these sorts of things. He said, this was your store hide. This was what your purpose came from. Now, I know you're sitting there and you're saying, well, Steph, we don't have a law. And I don't really have any tin gods up in my house. You're right. But we have our own storehouse, don't we? We have our own cultural and, and sociological premise from which our lives find meaning and purpose. We have our own views on how the world thinks that successful life and the purpose of your life goes. It goes a little something like this. Find more. The purpose of your flourishing, the way to be successful, the, the purpose of your life, the happiness you're longing for is to find more. More opportunity, 
more money, more relationships, more connection, more people, more likes. Find more. And this is the stoa hyen with which we live. Now, Paul's warning here is so important because he says, don't listen to those Jewish Christians who've come in with their own stoa hyen, their own understanding of how life works, and imposing that on you and saying that you need to do that in order to be a better and a more mature Christian. That's called legalism. You must do these things in order to be a better Christian. It's legalism. Now, legalism looks a lot like spiritual maturity, but it's not. I mean, we could look at somebody who does all the right things, has this impressive list. You know, you must read your Bible every day. You must go to church. You must be an intern. You must do da, 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 right? You must never swear. You must hold door open for old ladies. Whatever it is that you put on your list, right? We could all have them, and we do. Yeah, and he's saying, don't be that legalistic person. Don't listen to those Jews who are coming in telling you that there is a list of things you need to do in order to be a better and a more mature Christian because the reality is this. The, more, the longer your list is, the less mature you are as a Christian. The more things you have on there that you think you need to do and be to try and please God, the less you've actually got the point of the gospel. You've missed it. We've missed it. And so Paul's begging, begging this Gentile church, don't abandon your store high and take up somebody else's, but understand that as a new creation, as somebody who's given their life to Christ and filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, you now have a new nature and that nature is founded in the gospel of Jesus Christ alone. There is nothing you can do, nothing you could try to do, nothing you could be that would ever please God enough to save you more. Because it's already enough. And that comes to our second Greek word, which I'm going to try not to butcher either. Exerago. I'm doing better than I did this morning. This is good. Exerago. I had to have three goes at it today. Yeah, thank you. Yes, fake it. Uh, Exerago. Okay, now this, if I was going to get a tattoo um, and freak out my husband, um, it probably would be this word. I've got to tell you, I love... I love redemption. You know, that free price, that, that paid-for price that this passage talked about, is this word. It means to be redeemed. Now, I don't know if you're new to church, this idea of redemption might be new. This is what redemption looks like. Somebody paying it all for you because you couldn't. It literally comes from this idea in ancient uh, times where, where if you uh, were in debt or... or or captured, you would be forced into slavery. And somebody could go down to the marketplace and pay for you. Okay? Now, they could do two things as a result of that. You could then become their slave. They've bought you so that you can be their slave. Or they could redeem you. They bought you to set you free. That... (laughs) That is the image of what Christ has done for us. That he in himself has paid it all. In his own actions, his death and his resurrection on the cross, 
He has taken upon himself every punishment, every disappointment, every negative thing that has ever happened in your life, every single thing that is holding you back from that perfect relationship with God. He has paid it so that you don't have to because, quite frankly, you couldn't. And that's the point that Paul's trying to get here, that you couldn't do it and you still can't. So don't try to add to the gospel something that you think you can do in your own works in order to try and contribute to your own salvation. Whether you want to find some gods, get some Jewish laws, or just try to live by this, this is what it looks like to be successful life, you're just adding to a gospel that in itself is so complete and beautiful that if you add to it, you mess it up. This is the power of the good news of the gospel. There is nothing you have done or could ever do that could add to that. Now, here's the challenge. We're not really comfortable with that. I mean, I'm a minister. I'm also a very capable person, I like to think, pretty intelligent. You know, I'm fairly with... I like to have lists and tick things off and get things done. And so for God to tell me that I can't do anything (laughs) to help in my own salvation is actually a really hard thing for me to get around but I'm busy, God. Look at what I'm doing for you, God. Look, I'm an intern, God. Look, I'm at church every day. Look. And the more that we do that, the further we get away from knowing the grace of God meeting us in that moment. What a strange paradox the gospel is. The more you try to earn it, the least you understand it and embrace it. So I could go to a market and I could free you to make you my slave or to have freedom. But Paul takes this passage into quite an unbelievable place. Because he says you weren't just saved to be free. Free from your sin, free from the consequences, free from death. free to ha- You were free from the slavery of all that that was, in order to be made a child of God. You weren't just freed from, you were freed for. You weren't just freed from slavery, you were freed to be a child of God. This is such an incredibly and ridiculous notion, to be honest. That God himself would give us his Holy Spirit so that we, made in his image, filled with his nature, would be able to cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy. That you and I are called not just to serve God, but to know God, or better yet, to be known and found by him. This beautiful image of what it means to be a child of God. Now, here's what you need to understand. The word child here, I don't have it in the Greek, you're so welcome. (laughs) but it's not a little infant. The word child here is a son or daughter old enough to be an heir. Not waiting, not waiting for that day when we will grow up. No, 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 already old enough to participate in the fullness of what it means to be an heir. This is the rich beauty of what you and I are called into, that our spiritual maturity isn't looking like running through the Jewish hoops or running through what we think a good Christian needs to be, but instead it is coming in this child posture before God, fully inherent of all he is and allowing him to be at work in our lives. And so we might go to church every week 
And I'd probably encourage you to do that. I mean, you've got a pretty good one. Join online when you can. Be in the room when you can. You know, you might read your Bible every day, and that's great. But we don't do it because we have to or because we think that somehow we need to in order to justify our own salvation. We do it because we are children of God and we are delighted to be in relationship with him. And this is the reason that we would do anything in our faith not to add to our salvation but to live it out, to walk and to breathe in the joy that it brings in our lives. And so Paul asks this really interesting question. He says, if you are children of God, if you have been saved from these these false understandings of where your life comes from and now your life is born out of this gospel salvation of Jesus Christ alone, why on earth are you trying to be slaves again? It's a good question. And we can read that and we say, that's so logical, Paul. We'd never do that. (laughs) Wouldn't we? You know, Luke 15, Jesus is uh, talking and he's giving some parables. And you might have heard of them, kind of the lost sheep and the lost coin. And then there's this parable of the lost son that you might have heard of. And essentially the parable goes like this. There's two sons. The youngest one says, I don't want wait for you to die, Dad. I want all my money now. You should not start off a sentence with your parents like that. Just saying. He says, I don't want to wait. I want my inheritance now. And so the father gives him his inheritance and he goes off to a distant land and he squanders it on prostitutes, on gambling, on all of these sorts of things. And he ends up in this really low pit, basically working amongst pigs. Has nothing left. And he decides at that moment that even the servants, slaves in his father's house, are treated better than he is right now. So he's going to go back to his father and he's going to ask to become a servant. And he says this as as he's greeted by his father, who, by the way, runs to him across the field the moment he sees him coming. And he says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. How many times do we feel like that in our lives? Stuffed up again. I've messed up again. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father's response is to call together the party. Say, you know, grab the robes, kill the calf. We're going to have a party because this son of mine that was dead, this son of mine that was dead is alive. He was lost and he's found. So let's begin to celebrate. This incredible, powerful understanding here that one of the reasons that we would dare to submit ourselves to slavery again, to these ideas of what we need to do and have to do in order to win God's approval, this idea that we would submit under the culture around us and its cultural expectations of who we are, the idea that we would subvert who we are and the freedom that Christ has won for us under these ways often comes from a place of feeling unworthy. In fact, you might be sitting here today or or watching online and you would say, I'm not a Christian and maybe the reason that you are holding back from giving your life to Christ is you don't feel like you've got much of a life to give. You don't feel like you've got it together yet. You don't feel like the mess that you've made of your life is really something that God would want. 
and you think you need to keep trying harder to make it better in order to make it an acceptable thing to give to God. Something worthy of being called his son or his daughter. Maybe you're like the older son who when he hears the party raging for the youngest son, he comes and when he finds out that this, this son who has kind of run away and squandered everything is getting a party, is so annoyed that he refuses to even go in. And so the father comes out and the son complains to him like this, Look, all these years I have been, what? I have been slaving. Slaving for you and I've never disobeyed your orders yet you never even give me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends my son the father said you are always with me everything I have is yours you know some of us put ourselves in the posture of a slave rather than recognising that we are sons and daughters. We put ourselves in this place of needing to do and needing to be and, and this is what it looks like to be a mature Christian so I need to get this right in order for God to approve of me. And all along God's saying, my son, my daughter, you are not my slave. Everything I have is yours. It's actually a lot easier for us to fall into this posture of forgetting that we are children of God and falling into this place of slavery. And yet the invitation today, whether you're sitting there with this baggage that you think is so unworthy before God or whether you're sitting there with your list of things you have to get right before God is the same. Hand it over. Let it go. And remember what it is to be a son or daughter of God. Because your salvation is not based on what you've done, whether it's enough or not. It's simply based on who Jesus is and the redemption that He has won for your life. The fact that He took it all because you couldn't. He did it all because you couldn't. He has offered it all because you need it. And the simple invitation is to embrace it, to be adopted, to be brought in, to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that we can cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy. Some of us, some of us need to let go of those expectations that have enslaved us, those things that we feel like we need to do, that, that legalism that's been holding on to us. And instead, embrace the beauty of the gospel that it is only in Jesus Christ that we are saved. We cannot add to it in any way. We cannot increase it. We cannot earn it. But we are invited to accept it. Thanks so much for listening. 
I pray that you are able to hear from God in a fresh way today. We would love to hear from our listeners. To connect with us or to financially support the work of Encounter, please jump on our website, encounteradelaide.com.au. And if you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to jump onto iTunes, Spotify, or your podcast provider and give us a rating and review. Or share this message on your social media accounts and tag us at Encounter Adelaide. God bless. Have an amazing week.